0: Tax policy changes are coming, but what are they, and how will they impact Opportunity Zone investors? Find out more, next. As you may know, in July, I hosted OZ Pitch Day Summer 2021, which was a one-day online Opportunity Zone Investor matchmaking event. We had over 1,000 people register, and hundreds of you attended throughout the course of the day. What follows today is the audio version of an educational panel from that event titled Tax Policy Changes and Opportunity Zones. To view the panel in video format and to learn more about the panelists, check out the show notes page for today's episode. You can find those at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And just look for the episode titled Tax Policy Changes and Opportunity Zones. And to play any of the recordings from OZ Pitch Day on demand, they're all up on the website now. You can head over to ozpitchday.com to view any of the recordings from any of the previous three Opportunity Zone Pitch Days that I've hosted Again, head to ozpitchday.com to learn more about OZ Pitch Day and play any of the recordings on demand. And without further ado, here's the panel. Enjoy. So here we are with uh, tax policy and opportunity zones. I'm going to bring our panelists up on stage here. John Lettieri did a pretty nice job of setting the stage early on uh, in his keynote address. He touched on some of the topics that we're going to be exploring in a lot more detail On today's panel, which is tax policy and opportunity zones. Uh, So I want all of the investors in the audience today, gentlemen on the panel right now, to be more comfortable with opportunity zones at the conclusion of this panel. So hopefully we won't scare anybody off, but I do want to address some concerns that people have about the impending tax policy changes that are on the horizon. And just to introduce my panelists one more time, give them a proper introduction, Shay Hawkins, Hello. He joins us today uh, from the Opportunity Funds Association. He was formerly tax policy advisor to Senator Tim Scott, and today he continues to champion the OZ initiative, and he's very active on Capitol Hill. Shay, say hello. How are you?
1: How's it going, Jimmy? Thanks for having me.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Shay, for joining us. We also have Kunal Merchant here with us today. He's the president and co-founder of Cal OZ, an advocacy group for Opportunity Zones in California. Kunal, how are you doing today? Good to see you. I'm doing well. Thanks, Jimmy. Happy to be here as well. Excellent. And finally, last but not least, I'm going in alphabetical order, by the way. So <laughs> John Shiretti, partner at Novogradic, a national professional services organization, one of the leaders in Opportunity Zones. And John is also the coordinator of the Novogratic Opportunity Zone Working Group, also very active on Capitol Hill with their advocacy. John, how are you doing today? Good to see
2: you. Sorry about that.
0: Quick mic check. Quick there you are.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Good, absolutely. Great to see you. Great to see all of you. So, uh, I wanted to go through very quickly, um, and hopefully, this doesn't bore anybody, and especially doesn't bore my panelists too much. But I did want to go through a very quick opportunity zone investing for beginners uh, presentation, just because we do have we have got a fair number of people in the room who are pretty opportunity zone savvy, but I think we've got a fair number of people joining us today who are just learning about opportunity zones for the first time, very recently, and really just need a a quick rundown. So I'm going to try to go through this in in three minutes or less. So Opportunity Zones for beginners, really quickly here. Um, There's three benefits for Opportunity Zone investors, and it starts when you trigger a capital gain. It can be from the sale of stocks or real estate or anything else that triggers a capital gain. It can be long-term or it can be a short-term capital gain. Uh, That capital gain is then subject to three benefits. One is a deferral period. You don't have to recognize the gain until the end of 2026, which means you actually don't owe tax on the gain until April 2027. Uh, number two is you get a reduction in the amount of ta- uh, capital gains that you're able to recognize by 10%. Uh, quick note, that benefit actually expires at the end of this year. And benefit number three, and this is really the big one, this is why we're all here today pretty much, is there's no capital gains tax on any OZ gains after achieving a 10-year holding period. So you can dispose of your OZ investment 10 years after making the investment, and it's tax-free. We'll run through a quick example. Let's say you've got a $10 million capital gain. We'll assume a 23.8% federal federal capital gains tax rate. We're going to ignore state, just to keep it simple here. Normally you'd owe $2.38 million uh, in tax liability the following April. Uh, which would leave you with only 7.62 million net, Uh, but instead, let's say within 180 days of recognizing that gain, you invest that $10 million in a qualified opportunity fund. So benefit number one is a deferral period. And note that you don't get the after tax, you get the full amount. You're able to pour in the full $10 million into the QOF, the qualified opportunity fund. It's essentially a $2 million and change industry loan from Uncle Sam. And the important thing to note though is that that tax liability on that gain does come home to roost eventually and the 2026 tax rate applies then. We don't know where tax rates are going to go. And that's what we're going to be talking about throughout the course of this panel. Um, Tax rates could rise. Most expect that they will. But this could actually be to your benefit in the long run. When we get to benefit three, you'll see why. Benefit number two is a reduction. Essentially, you get to reduce the amount of gains that you recognize by 10%. So the $10 million gain. Is reduced to $9 million essentially. Uh, And again, you will have to pay that uh, the tax on that initial gain in April 2027, but it's only $9 million a gain instead of 10. Benefit number three, again, this is the big one. You pay zero tax on capital gains realized from the OZ investment after a 10-year holding period, tax-free growth within the Opportunity Zone Investment. So let's say your $10 million appreciates to $50 million. That's a $40 million gain. Normally you'd owe. Quite a bit of money to Uncle Sam and possibly your state as well if they have a capital gains tax rate or if you have nexus in a state that does have a capital gains rate. In this case, zero. Um, Note that the gain must be recognized by the end of 2047. If tax rates go up, this benefit actually becomes much more valuable. So I'll skip through a couple of these slides here, but essentially, Opportunity Zones applies at the census tract level. It's a place-based policy covering over 8,700 census tracts, Uh, over 35 million people live in these tracts. And you can see that map right there shows that there are tracts all over the country to invest in. So that's a very brief overview, OZ101. I hope I did okay, gentlemen, but let me turn it over to you now. You guys are the real experts here in the space. Uh, I wanted to get a sense from you guys. um, Ask the first question of the day here, since we're focusing on tax policy changes, I want to ask each of you and I'll, I'll just go through an order here. What are the tax policy changes that are likely heading down the pipeline? And are they regulatory changes or are they legislative changes? Shay, I'll, I'll turn it over to you first. Get your thoughts, please.
1: Well, thanks Jimmy, for that, that overview. First of all, uh, it was pretty thorough. I thought we were going to have to spend 20 minutes with, uh, Kunal, John and I, uh, correcting that, but that was, uh, that was pretty solid. Good. Um, so, um, You know, I'm I'm obviously uh, open to any uh, adjustments or additions or corrections uh, from John or Kunal, but uh, in a broad sense, uh, in terms of potential tax changes, of course, um, the opportunity um, opportunity zone policy is structured around capital gains. And uh, as you mentioned, capital gains are, um, you know, kind of in the news now um the uh the biden uh infrastructure slash job creation plan uh calls for a number of new uh tax increases to help offset the cost uh and one of those is essentially a doubling of the statutory uh capital gains uh tax rate um and so um you know the overall view on that um you know, a, a capital gains tax increase wouldn't be a part of a theoretical bipartisan infrastructure plan. Uh, and so that's out there. Um, but if, um, if they can't get bipartisan cooperation and they can't get any Republicans on board, then the Democrats can move forward with, um, with a process called reconciliation, which is basically. Um, uh, complex parliamentary and budget process that allows uh, major major legislation to pass this, the U.S. Senate without, um, you know, with just 51 votes, uh, which the Democrats have. And so uh, if they use this process, then the bill will be a lot more aggressive in a lot more ways. And one of those ways, um, you know, it, it will make sense. Um for um, the Democrats if they do reconciliation to raise the capital gains rate. And when I say makes sense, I mean, there's a lot of revenue to be drawn in in terms of tax revenue from raising capital gains rate, especially if they raised it, um, especially if they doubled it. Um, But then also, um, you know, the the constituency, if you will, that pays capital gains you know, particularly, you know, people who are perceived as wealthy um, are kind of easy targets in this environment. And so um, it's not a guarantee that you'll see a reconciliation bill, but if you see a reconciliation bill for infrastructure, then you will very, very, very likely see that capital gains tax increase. Um, And so um, fortunately, you haven't heard a lot of rhetoric Um, around sort of closing loopholes in uh, connection with, um, you know, I almost don't want to say it out loud here because I don't want to give any of the staffers on Capitol Hill any ideas, but you don't hear a lot of discussion of saying, okay, we're going to raise capital gains, but then we have to do um, the following, you know, three to five things to make sure that there's nowhere for those capital gains to go, as it were. Um, and so um, you know on the surface, you know we would see a capital gains tax increase and that that could make uh opportunity zones an even more attractive um, location uh for realized capital gains um you know if, if you do see um you know some some type of adjustment um you know to sort of make sure that those capital gains are are uh kept in the treasury, if you will, the tax associated with those, then obviously that could be, you know, that could be bad. That could uh, lead to some unhelpful changes. But I haven't seen anything on the horizon
3: Uh, in the
1: past year. uh, And just so far in this year, 2021, uh, since the new administration has taken over and since since the majority switched over, um, I've testified in front of Congress. Four times. Um, And so, twice in front of the Energy and Commerce Committee, once in terms of, and twice, I'm I'm sorry, once in front of the Energy and Commerce Committee, twice in in front of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, Um, and once in front of the Tax Writing Senate Finance Committee. My point is this is that in each one of those testimonies, about a third of my testimony focused on opportunity zones and the questioning. Um, that I received, both from Democrats and Republicans, also focused on opportunity zones. And so we didn't see anything uh, particularly hostile um, during that questioning, you know, when they had one of us, you know, an opportunity zone expert in front of them. Um, And uh, you particularly didn't see anything um, negative that was associated with this current tax bill. Uh, And so that's, um, you know, that that's uh, encouraging uh, because, you know, some of the chief enemies on the Oversight Reform Committee, the two members of Congress who have introduced Opportunity Zone repeal legislation, Representative Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib, uh, were both um, were both on the committee. Um, both mentioned opportunity zones, but neither um, neither was particularly hostile. In fact, uh, Rashida Tlaib bemoaned the bipartisan support <laughs> that uh, that opportunity zones had. She said, "I'm done with opportunity zones. Both Democrats and Republicans, um, you know, are constantly promoting this." Uh, and so that was that was actually positive. And then she also mentioned that um, billionaires have hijacked our opportunity zones, which sounds negative. But if you really think about it, um, you know, she's acknowledging that opportunity zones are positive. And she's, you know, in in her mind, a certain segment of the investor population have somehow, you know, uh, perverted them, if you will. Um, So, um, you know, in, in Capitol Hill speak, that's actually not very bad at all. Uh, it means good things for us and for the people on this call. <clears throat> and so uh, beyond that, um, you know, the primary uh, theme that I've heard regarding opportunity zones from the administration, from HUD, from, um, from Republicans on Capitol Hill, is the need for, um, you know, reasonable transparency reporting requirements. Uh, and the good thing is we have that in the form of the Impact Act. Um, It's a bill um, that's, um, you know, a solid industry vetted bill um, that uh, Senator Sinema and Senator Scott introduced in December 2019. Uh, So legislation like that um, and a comprehensive bill are going to be important to avoid regulatory changes from Treasury. Um, You know, the worst thing that could happen is you get a bad Opportunity Zone headline. Um, And um, Secretary Yellen, Treasury Secretary Yellen, feels the need to, quote unquote, do something about, um, you know, about transparency or the performance of Opportunity Zones. Uh, With the Impact Act out there as a placeholder, um, when she comes under that pressure, uh, and if we make that placeholder even more comprehensive, um, then... um, she can point to that and say Congress should pass this comprehensive opportunity zone bill as opposed to feeling that she needs to do something unproductive from a regulatory standpoint.
2: Good, well, hey,
0: Shay, thank you for that perspective uh, and that uh, peek behind the curtain (laughs) that is Capitol Hill. Kuna, I wanna turn to you now. Uh, I'll I'll pose the question again. What are the tax policy changes that are likely hidden down the pipeline in your mind? And do you think they're gonna be regulatory or, or legislative?
3: Yeah, yeah, so I mean, obviously, Shay is incredibly knowledgeable. I mean, the, the short answer is both, right? So on the, on the legislative side, um, there's a discussion about capital gains, um, independent of opportunity zones that's going on right now, either as a pay for for the infrastructure or just as a revenue generator generally. Um, one thing I think we should just get out there, uh, which I think Shay kind of alluded to, is just there was concern perhaps at the beginning of the administration or the change in, in the Congress. You know, would opportunity zones survive at all? And the answer is yes. So for investors who have to make these long-term bets uh, with their with their earnings, uh, it's very, very unlikely that the program would somehow get abolished. There's going to be legislation always introduced on either side of the aisle. um, That's probably sometimes more symbolic than substantive. Um, I wouldn't put any stock in any of these bills that are. Uh, claiming to end zones or end the program. It does have bipartisan support. There's just not a path for the legislature to end the incentive. Uh, you know, Senator Scott uh, and, and Senator Cinema with the Impact Act is a critical piece of this puzzle, this reporting piece um, that is missing. That was missing in the original legislation because of mainly a technicality of how reconciliation works, but was never remedied after that by either Republicans or Democrats. Uh, and it leaves the program vulnerable to criticism. Uh, in the sense that we don't fully understand what the money flow is, where it's going. the, the, the uh, you know the reporting requirements are relatively lean compared to other programs. In some ways, that's a good thing because it's sort of a less of an inhibitor for investors trying to do this or uh, project sponsors trying to get their projects forward. But it does leave it open to criticism that this is some sort of program that uh, doesn't account for the dollars that are being you know alleged to be going to impact. So hopefully, Senator Scott's bill makes its way through the Congress, uh, Shea would obviously know better than me. Um, beyond that, there may be other, you know, tax policy changes generally with, you know, tax rates, marginal tax rates, that sort of thing. Um, but, but Shea alluded to another important mechanism, which is the administrative regulatory mechanism. So Congress is one lever to create change. The other is just the uh, executive office of the president, the, you know, what the, uh, what the uh, Treasury can do, um, what's uh, the IRS can do, whether agencies, even HUD can do, there's administrative regulatory changes they can make to, uh, uh, you know, change the forms that people fill out when they're doing their tax returns on, a, on, a daily, you know, on an annual basis, or just other things related to opportunity zones. I suspect that over the course of the next few months, maybe year and a half, we'll see some adjustments to those coming out of uh, Treasury, coming out of the IRS, similar to how we, we had in the, the Trump administration. Um, initially. However, I have not gotten the sense that in in terms of the rank order preferences of the uh, Biden administration right now, opportunity zones are super high relative to COVID, relative to infrastructure, relative to other priorities. So it seems like their hands are full with other topics at the moment. Um, So, you know, for investors who are trying to make um, bets on Whether to do this or not, I would, you know, it's easy to say it's not my money, it's your money, but I think that the the system as set up right now is probably gonna stay intact to the extent their changes, they'll be around the edges. I think the big one is the capital gains question, but I know at least you know, one analysis by UBS about a month ago concluded that even if cap gains go up to forty three point four percent, which would be a pretty significant increase from the status quo, it would still make more sense. To put your money into the OZ program, um, and you'll get a higher net present value of returns compared to paying those capital gains taxes today. So given that that really high capital gains rate is unlikely, and this analysis is um, saying it's still going to be worth you know, paying later and getting the deferral, I feel like the regulatory changes shouldn't be something that inhibits or deters anybody here from moving ahead with an opportunity zone project.
0: Excellent. Thank you for your perspective, Kunal and John. I want to hear from you now. These two are hogging up all the airtime here. Let's let's get to John here. I want to I want to hear uh, John again. For those of you just joining, us, a partner at Novogratz and he's also the coordinator of the Novogratz Opportunity Zones Working Group. John, what's what's your take? What what tax policy changes do you see heading down the pipeline? And I will also ask you a follow-up question: What impact do you think
3: these tax policy changes may have on opportunity zone investors?
2: Well, specifically, you know, the Biden administration released their green book, which is their their revenue proposal. And some of the titles in that green book that may affect opportunity zones, which in general, higher tax rates, uh, corporate rate, uh, the proposal was to go to 28 percent, which we haven't had to date much institutional investment in the program. And it seems to be picking up, um, at least in, in my world, I see. More institutional investors, but you know, obviously, a higher tax rate would give them more incentive to invest in opportunity zones. And then, what uh, Shay and Kunal, Kunal uh, mentioned about the individual rate—you know—the proposal was to go to thirty-nine point six, which, in effect, would you know make new opportunity zone investments at that rate um, uh, a higher incentive, um, deferral, and and the back end. Uh, Gain forgiveness, um, of course, investors that have already invested at 28, percent which you alluded to, Jimmy. You know, if that rate should change and survive through 26, um, you would have you know a higher tax rate on that realization of the deferral. But assuming it stayed in place through 10 years, you know, based on our math, it's still a, a beneficial investment. Um, you know, to to invest uh, or, or to keep your investment. We looked at some opportunities to uh, sort of realize an inclusion event at a uh, lower rate before any tax change would take effect. And uh, the, only, the only opportunity in the, in the tax code now or in the regulations is that if you were able to get a distribution of your investment and you didn't have basis when you got that distribution, which is pretty, typically distributions come in the form of debt finance distributions and typically investors have basis in that debt and so they don't realize an inclusion event um, and uh, but the regulations say they that if you have an inclusion event uh, as a result of a debt finance distribution um, that you still keep your ten-year old benefit so uh, you know there, there are ways you can manage that through some sort of related party debt which I won't get into now but but uh, we, we we had actually asked uh, It's probably it's probably it's probably a statutory change, but we did ask for a regulatory change to allow this sort of election to uh, realize your gain at that lower rate um, before any tax changes. So definitely, the tax changes uh, would affect you know current investors and future investors more more favorably. Um, Another provision in that revenue proposal was um, to tax uh, capital gains. in the event of a gift or uh, death. So currently, the law is that basis transfers on a gift, and at death, uh, an investment would be uh, uh, the basis would be uh, the fair market value at death, and the escape any taxation on that fair value over basis. Uh, in the proposal, uh, there's a provision which which proposes to tax uh, that uh, unrealized capital gain at death or gift. So obviously that would affect opportunity zones and that uh, death is not an inclusion event today. So if you hold an opportunity zone investment and uh, a decedent would, would uh, pass that benefit onto its heirs um, without any tax or inclusion at death uh, in the carry at uh, the holding period, uh, is in tax. And so if someone were to pass away in the six year of investment, then the beneficiary would only have four years to, and then they could actually realize uh, the 10-year hold benefit. Um, of course, this provision to tax capital gains would take that away. Uh, and there probably wouldn't be the ability to defer those gains again into an opportunity zone investment because in order to defer capital gains, into an opportunity zone investment, you have to have a sale or exchange, which, by definition, that is not a sale or exchange, um, and it has to be an unrelated party. And typically, you know, beneficiaries are related parties, so we're not sure how that would play out. But but there is a provision in, in that proposal that says that twelve oh two or small business stock benefits are not erased or not taxed on a uh, deceit on a deceit. And so, we're our opportunities Zone work group is. Getting, watching it closely, we want to make sure we get out in front of this and hope to have an exclusion for Opportunity Zones as well, along with the 1202. It makes sense uh, that, that the residents that invested with the thought that they, uh, you know, could realize the benefit, even though they passed away, that they, uh, you know, that they get to keep that benefit. Um, and then the last issue in, uh, in the, uh, the last title in that proposal was the elimination of White County Exchange. Um, I think it's over a half a million dollars, so that's the only only deferral that you can any deferral over half a million dollars um, is would no longer be available. So that limit on the lifetime Exchange obviously would make Opportunity Zones the only game in town for deferral, um, in around real estate, um, obviously you have the small business stock deferral, but but uh, so obviously that that proposal, if it were to go through, would make Opportunity Zones more popular. Um, Again, they're all proposals. Shea sort of laid out the landscape. That I think it's a tough, tough challenge um, to raise taxes. I think the capital gain tax. I think it's been over 50 years where it's had a preferential rate, and there's been proposals over those years to make it the same as the ordinary rate. Um, and so, um, you know, it's it's uh, like I said, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe uh, for Congress to be able to increase those capital gain rates.
0: Yeah, but it is. What uh, what a lot of people are expecting to
3: come, come down the pipeline at some point, right?
2: Yeah, I think I'm.
3: Uh, I think it's probably more likely they'd go up, but not
2: to 39.6 percent. You know, where you would still have a preference um, for capital gains. Yeah, I, you know, we the economy is recovering from COVID. Uh, that, that just makes it a tougher challenge for the administration to raise those rates. Yeah,
0: fair enough. Um... Well in, in any case though I do think we are expecting them to go up at least a little bit maybe not as as high as as Shay <laughs> alluded to maybe not to ordinary rates um and what I hear from investors a lot of the time and I'm I'm sure John and, and Shay and Kunal you hear this as well is hey why should I invest in a qualified opportunity fund I can just lock in my 23.8% rate right now and and be done with it whereas Otherwise, I've got to defer that gain recognition and I'm going to be paying who knows what in, at the 2026 rates. And it, it, I think it spooks off some investors. So I just want to drive the point home one more time that, you know, John, as, as you alluded to, the rates going up um, actually still has a pretty substantial economic benefit, especially when you take into account that third benefit that I ran through in my OZ 101 intro. Uh, it makes that exclusion event on the back end, that those tax-free profits from Opportunity Zone investing, uh, much more powerful, I believe. Any, any other thoughts from, from you guys on that?
2: No, I agree with you. I mean, I think you know, we, we, we analyzed it if, if rates were to go up to 39.6%, which, is act, which actually ends up being 43% because of the, mm-hmm. because of the uh, investment tax that you pay. Right. Um, that you know, depending on whether they stay there in 26, um, which could be another administration and another tax policy, um, and depending on what your appreciation is. So I think we looked at it way anyway, you sort of double your
3: investment, you're still you're still ahead. You double- yeah, Kunal, Kunal, thoughts from you? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I was I was persuaded by that. There was this UBS report that came out in early June that basically made some assumptions that if there was a you know million dollar gain. Um, with the 10% capital gain exclusion, uh, and the the break even was 43% at a 7% discount rate and a 7% CAGR. So, you know, it's a math problem, right? Like, are you better off taking the hit now and then having the certainty, or do you take the deferral going forward? It, you know, a lot of it is project specific, like John said, but if you believe in your project, you believe in the appreciation, I don't think gains are getting, getting rates will get up to 43%. So I, I, you know, personally, I do think it's still okay to move ahead on an OZ project, but, you know, every project is different. There may be some unique factors that may motivate some folks to act differently, but I think on the whole, it's safe to proceed. Good. Shay, any any thoughts from you?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, um, I'm allowed to take a good portion of John's time in each cycle because I'm part of the... Uh, opportunities on working group for Novogratic. So, as a working group member, I could always take a little Novogratz time, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I think um, you know what really stood out is, um, and one thing that I failed to mention was the the gift and tax um, potential impact uh, that that John noted. You know, because you, then you're in a situation where there's going to be a significant portion of the investor class that's just literally that has a forced capital gain, you know, um, and has to kind of deal with it. Um, and so, you know, I think that could be, um, you know, a positive driver for, um, you know, for these investments overall. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, and I, I don't think, um, you know, a, a capital gains rate going to, 30% or you know or 28% or something like that um, it's not um, you know it, it's it's not going to you know cause 24 billion dollars in you know new investment to you know be to drop to six you know over the next 3 years you know but um, but you know and and it could be that the combination of um, changes that are in the ultimate um you know the, the in, in the final reconciliation bill, you know, are neutral to positive to, for opportunity zones. But uh, but you know we we'll just have to uh you know as John said just monitor it day to day and just make sure that uh you know in a perfect world we would get um we would get opportunity zones excluded from you know the potentially uh damaging changes um and um, you know, and, and, and then benefit for, um, you know, for, 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 from some of the other potential changes. And there's good uh, precedent, if you will, um, you know, for getting, um, you know, for getting uh, opportunity zones treated uh, a little differently in that we have had bipartisan um, opportunity zone oriented legislation on tax uh, with the treatment of Puerto Rico. Um, And their designations. And then also, um, you know, we we have seen some positive regulatory changes uh, for opportunity zones related to COVID. Um, Now, granted, those happened. um, Those happened under a different administration, Uh, but, um, you know. The uh, the nature of those regulatory changes were not. Uh, we're not challenged um, by, uh, by, by quote, the other side during that time. So, um, you know, it seems like there's a recognition that opportunity zones are key to us recovering from the pandemic. And we want to treat them, um, you know, treat them as, uh, tr- treat them in a way that that allows it to continue to be an incentive. And,
3: Jimmy, I know we're almost at time, but Shea kind of hit a really important point, which I think is good for folks out there to look at, which is, One area that seems to be less contentious is the idea of aligning policies with the zones. So irrespective of the conformity, the tax benefit, both sides seem to be comfortable with the methodology of saying, hey, this geography, which is now uh, an opportunity zone tract, is worthy of increased attention. That seems to be bipartisan. So as uh, you're looking at your projects, be on the lookout for changes to federal and state policies that are not trying to align more tax incentives, more subsidies, more public policies generally, uh, to incentivize and benefit projects that are being in designated opportunity zones, irrespective of the tax benefits. So there may be other ways to improve your project, uh, with state and tax and sometimes even local policy. That's a trend we have been seeing. So just beyond the capital gains piece, be on the lookout for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. Uh, I, I did want to,
0: uh, I think we're actually at time right now and I want to take a, a break, but I did want to get to a few questions. So let's, let's go for a few more minutes if, if you gentlemen have time. Uh, our next fund pitch, <clears throat> excuse me, will be uh, starting at 11.45 a.m. Eastern time in about nine minutes. Uh, David asks, uh, can you talk about proposals for raising capital gains and eliminating the 1031 exchange? I don't know if we've talked about 1031 yet, but, uh, but what are your thoughts on whether or not uh, that may be on the chopping block? This is going to be rapid fire. So whoever wants it.
2: I mean, the only indication we have is the revenue proposal, right? Which, which does indicate that there would be limits to the 1031 of only half a million dollars. What was the other thing? Other than uh, oh, he
3: wanted
0: to discuss um, uh, proposals for raising the capital gains, right? I think we've discussed that.
2: And yeah, 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 that's a yeah, so. Green Book proposal.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's enough votes to take, get rid of 1031 in Congress. Is that right?
0: Yeah, Shay, yes or no? 1031s on the topic. very
1: very unlikely that 1031s are eliminated. Uh, if they did, it would only help opportunity zones. But very agreed.
0: unlikely. Agreed. Uh, Dane asks, would the end of year 2021 capital gains providing step up of 10% possibly be expanded into 2022 due to the delays and events of the past 15 plus months? So again, that 10% basis step up or 10% capital gain recognition reduction that's expiring at the end of this year. Gentlemen, any any chance that that could get extended into 2022 and beyond? Um Shay, you 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 go first. I know you've got a good one for this.
1: Uh, no, just just th- 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 that would be a part of of an a comprehensive opportunity zone expansion bill. So you you would lay a foundation of um, you know, you would lay a set foundation around transparency reporting because there's bipartisan support for that. Um, And the Biden administration has indicated that that's a priority. So that's the foundation. And then you overlay, um, you know, things like, you know, extending the 10% step-up in basis, extending the policy overall, allowing governors to designate additional zones, those kinds of things. Um, And so a comprehensive bill is a possibility and it's important uh, to have something as a placeholder uh, because even if you don't get it passed this year, uh, it's out there uh, for future vehicles. And also, it takes the pressure off of the regulatory, um, the regulatory, the, the potentially negative regulatory steps that Treasury or IRS might take. Yeah, there's a proposed bill out
2: there, right? To extend to 28, which that's how you'd end up getting the step ups because you'd end up holding your investment. Right. But-
3: required five or seven years. Kunal, any thoughts there? No, I think they hit it. Excellent. Um, we've got a couple more questions here I want to get to. Uh, I think we're
0: going to blow right through the break, but that's okay. That break's really just for me. I don't need it. I'm good. So uh, let's see here. We've got one. Uh, we got another one from Dane, actually. Uh, he asked a technical question. Uh, isn't the Senate only allowed to use the reconciliation process for two? for two bills each year. And with each of these, there needs to be a budget resolution. If that's the case, what is the rank order of capital gains tax increases being one of the two bills? And also, if the capital gains tax increase is put into place, this should get people off the sidelines and realize capital gains now and we will need to redeploy into other investments. What do the panelists see as an alternative for deploying capital gains on any assets? Because eventually, people do need to realize those capital gains.
1: Right, so, um, so in, in, in short, there's another reconciliation bill. It is possible this year. Um, and, um, you know, tax policy, everything they want to roll into it, from the international changes to an inter- in international tax policy, everything we're talking about the individual side, a potential increase in the corporate rate would all be rolled into one reconciliation bill. Uh, because it's like herding cats. You gotta get all of the majority on one page at one time. So you wouldn't try to split that up. You would you would do it in this next bill.
0: Uh, thoughts from Kunal or, or John on that question, or or did Shay hit it?
2: I think he hit it. Okay. Uh, I think recon- even in reconciliation, there's the mansion wild card, right? But you know, so it's it's not a given.
1: Uh, I've got a few uh, stump
0: the accountant type questions here in the chat. I, I may ad- address you with these, John. So, so watch out. Um, the previous speaker from Urban Catalyst, Eric Hayden, mentioned the briefly. He mentioned a fourth tax benefit, which was um, the elimination of depreciation recapture. Um, this question asks: Let's see, basically, depreciation from investment held ten years becomes permanent. And can be used to offset ordinary income. Would this influence your decision to choose a QOF that reports on a K1 versus
2: a 1099? Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I guess it would, because I mean, a 1099, I guess what we're talking about a REIT, right? So you're not, you don't have any pass through losses. So, yeah, I mean, that's a huge benefit in that, you know, under normal, under general tax law, any depreciation you take is recaptured at a higher rate. For individuals, it's 25 versus 20 for capital gains. So, what the Opportunity Zone regulations gave us is that you step up through that as well as the additional appreciation. So it's a, it's a huge benefit uh, investing in real estate.
0: And then I'll, I'll hit you with one more, John. Also, this one comes from Robert in our live audience. If a married spouse sold stock owned personally, does the Opportunity Zone investment need to be with that spouse or can it be a joint purchase? And they, they file taxes jointly, he says.
2: Yeah, you file jointly, then, then, uh, then you know, it would be that taxpayer, the joint taxpayer.
3: Good, good. Uh, let's see if we have any other questions here. I think we might
0: wrap it up there. Actually, um, give myself a, a couple minute break before the next panel starts. I want to thank everybody again for for joining me, John Kunal and and Shay. Thank you for all of your insights today. Uh, we'll stop with stump the CPA there, <laughs> and thank you everybody. Uh, for joining. We'll get uh, resuming with the programming in in just a couple minutes here. Nest Opportunity Fund is up next. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you for listening to this panel from OZ Pitch Day. As always, I have show notes on today's episode available at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that my panelists and I discussed on today's episode. And you can also find the video version of the panel there. To play any of the recordings from OZ Pitch Day on demand, visit ozpitchday.com, and I'll also have some information on there coming up pretty soon about my OZ Pitch Day Fall 2021 session coming November 3 through 4 at the end of this year. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon with another episode. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.